Good Evans, it's a Bobcast. Welcome to episode 48 with me, your host, Bob Evans, although my friends call me Kevin Mitchell. How you going? Thanks for joining me once again. There's uh, lots happening. The countdown is really is on now um, towards the release of my new record. It's called Tomorrowland, and it comes out on April 16th. You can pre-order it um, right now. And if you do... You could win a brand new record player and a signed test pressing of my album, which is a pretty cool prize, if I say so myself. All the details for how to enter uh, that is at bobevans.com.au, but it's really simple. All you have to do is show evidence of pre-ordering. It's a really simple process um, worth doing. If you think about buying a record, you may as well pre-order it and... Yeah, who knows? You might get a record player. Also, lots of gigs to uh, plug. I'm if you're in Melbourne, I'm supporting the church in St Kilda, uh, Thursday, April the fifteenth. Uh, it's a festival thing called April Sun. Um, so uh, the, the venue is right in front of the um, Palais Theatre in St Kilda with the church. Um, also, doing a full band show at. Uh, the Frost and Fire Festival in Forbes, New South Wales on June 19th. This is free and all ages, but you have to register for tickets. So uh, again, go to my website for that, bobevans.com.au, and you'll find the details. But uh, yes, very excited about that. Uh, The full band playing in Forbes uh, on June 19th. I'm doing a live Facebook event on Tuesday, April 13th, it's going to kick off at 7 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. And I'm going to chat and play some songs off the new record. I've done a couple of these before, so some of you may have tuned in. Um, it's a bit of fun. Um, so, yeah, I'd love for, to uh, see you all there at that. Um, but, yes, again, bobevans.com.au for all the details to all of that stuff. Uh, if you've been enjoying this podcast, please rate and review it on iTunes. That would be awesome. Um, also, too, if you um, would like to email me, you can. GoodEvansBobcast at gmail.com is the email address. And uh, every now and then I'll go into the mailbag and um, respond to those emails on this show. Uh, there's a Spotify playlist, of course, on Spotify. Uh, the playlist is called Good Evans It's a Bobcast soundtrack And it has every song that every guest on the show has uh, chosen um, So it's all there as a reference point um, As usual too There's probably going to be swearing well, There was swearing and adult content um, In this episode and every other episode pretty much So yeah, just be aware of that um, Okay Episode number What episode number is it again? Episode number 48 Um is with uh, Thomas Busby, who is one half of Busby Maru, uh, who uh, originated in uh, Rockhampton, Queensland. But uh, I spoke to Thomas over the phone uh, from his house uh, in uh, Corumban, which is uh, in the Gold Coast. Um, But yeah, had a really lovely chat with Thomas. Um, He's a salt-of-the-earth, real salt-of-the-earth guy, uh, and really interesting character too. So you've got um, got a lot of interesting uh, stories, and and we have a good laugh on this uh, on this episode. So um, I th- want to thank Thomas for uh, agreeing to be on it. He made we talk about this on the in the chat, but um, he did make the the mistake of uh, sending me a text message, um, uh, and as soon as he and I hadn't heard from him for a while, and uh, so 
as soon as I got that text message, I was like, ah, oh, Thomas, he could be on the pop, on the podcast. Um, so be warned, people, if you have my number and you send me a text message, you're probably going to get roped into being on this podcast. <laughs> but uh, no, he happily agreed to be on it, and I appreciate that um, very much. It was a really lovely chat with some funny moments, some good times. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, let's listen to uh, let's listen to it now. This is episode 48 with Thomas Busby from Busby Maru on Good Evans. It's a Bobcast. Welcome to the Bobcast, Thomas Busby. How you going, man? I am fantastic, mate. It's great to be on this. Thank you so much for doing it. Hey, um, whereabouts are you? Are you you at home? Yeah, I'm in home. I'm in my house. I'm uh, in Corumban on the Gold Coast down the oh, south yes. there. As I was saying off air before, in my little whiskey bar that uh, we recently did renovations, but well before we did renos, I thought we're not going to have enough money to do renos for a long time so why don't we just build selfishly build a whiskey bar where the kids can watch movies while we drink while they do that was that a was that a hard sell just, <laughs> because i'm wondering like you know i'm just trying to picture myself just going oh baby you know it's red i can't afford it. it's gonna to be too hard you know i've i've got a much simpler better more affordable idea uh, that involves booze <laughs> right, it wasn't a hard sell because I think we had a mate that came in. I said, "Mate, we want to put this room in and do another thing, and we wanted to build an empire." And he went, "Okay, cool. That'll that'll be about a million dollars." We went, "All right, okay." So in the meantime, can we do just like that back room and make it look awesome? And uh, basically, you know what it's like with young kids you you lose your nightlife, and you know, mm. apart from your so your only social life as a muse muso is being on the road. So yeah. when I come home, I don't want to leave the house. But my wife, <laughs> on the other hand, is waiting for me to come home so she can actually leave the house. So yeah. um, we now lead the house into the whiskey bar at the back. And generally, that's when the kids, are, you know, the girls are laying down watching Frozen or whatever new Disney movies out. And yeah. uh, we're sitting up at the bar and making an old-fashioned. It's great. Oh, it does sound, sound nice. Crumbin Cur- uh, is a uh, nice little pocket of... Uh, well, do, are you, do you... Could define Corumbin as being part of the Gold Coast? Well, yeah, um, yes, it is. Technically, it is. South Coast. I mean, when I grew up, I'm from, obviously, as you know, I'm from Rockhampton, and I went to uni in Brisbane, and the only time I'd come to Gold Coast was to party, I suppose, it, mm. very rarely, and that was for Bucks parties or mad parties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you'd go to Surface Paradise. So I just presumed Gold Coast was Surface Paradise. Where everyone had um, good bodies and lovely tans and... And it was pretty wild. And um, then, you know, I moved to Sydney for a bit after we got married. And I was sort of, you know, working hard in the museo business and I could live anywhere I wanted. And my wife got, had the opportunity to get back up to Queensland. It was on the Gold Coast. And, yeah, I learned so much about it. I love, I love the South Gold Coast. It's just a hidden pocket. Mm. It's, it's uh, near the airport. 
Yeah. Um, I think I've been to surfers once in the seven years since we've been here. So, um, yeah, it's it's kind of like a postcode in its own down here. And Crumbin, Crumbin's a special part, like filled with lots of nature. But we're on the on the canals, so we've got a little boat tied up the fence there, and you oh, jump, throw the kids in, and yeah, you take it down and kind of forget about it all. So it's great. Yeah, it's like that little pocket is. Um it feels like it doesn't feel like you're in the Gold Coast. Basically, you're, it, it's it feels very kind of tucked and hidden away from uh, everything else that's going on around there. I I only discovered it from um, playing gigs at the uh, Sound Lounge. Yeah, well, mate, that's my local. I can actually from my house. I and I have done playing gigs at Busby Maru and and any other band that like it's a mate that's playing. If I'm home, I'm, I catch the boat down, just park it up on the sand, and just. Come in. <laughs> It's unreal. The only danger awesome. is um, the after party tends to come back to come back here. So right, the whiskey. Well, that's where the whiskey bar comes into play. That's totally yeah, it's soundproof. <laughs> it's great. Well, I I must uh, confess, I I am drinking myself, but it's a um, it's nothing that's not not anywhere near as classy sounding as a whiskey. I'm drinking a um, one of those like it's a sour beer. A oh yes, smash yep. sour beer and. I think I, I've I've I, I don't mind them, and I think it might be like because it's, it, it kind of tastes like it kind of tastes a little bit like a, a cider or a, um, it's very very yeah. fruity, right? I yeah. think it's kind of like beer for people who don't really like the taste of beer very much. Well, mate, the strange thing for beer for me is I drank it like a fish for years, and then I went on tour and drank it midweek, and professionally just became a drinker. And I'm not a very tall fella, as you know, and it just goes straight to the thighs, as right. the boys would say. <laughs> and uh, I was like, holy shit, I've got to do something here. This is ridiculous because yeah. I love having fun and I do not want to take that out of my life. Mm. And, uh, you know, my tour mates out there that like to crack a coldie after mowing a lawn, I, you know, you can't just come and have a scotch and soda at, you know, 11 a.m. after mowing a lawn. It just feels a bit yeah. alcoholic alcoholic-y. <laughs> and so, yeah, I've... I during COVID when COVID picked up, my brother. This is another story, I suppose. He he didn't tell me. He's got he's married with four kids. He's a lot older than me, but um, he moved in three doors down. He bought a house and didn't tell tell anyone. And oh. it was like uh, oh, it was like a bit rocky BNS ball every day because he moved in just at the start of COVID. Oh, right. We had boats <laughs> that were connecting. We were checking the crab pots every fourteen seconds, and it was just all about getting back to the old cold cans and so um i enjoyed it a lot but i've i've actually recently had to get back off it but i, I do miss drinking beer i do actually like the taste of it but um it doesn't suit my body shape <laughs> <laughs> how um just mentioned covid i mean last year it would be remiss to have anybody on as a guest of the show and not um you know just ask um how you you know how you dealt with that period of time what was 2020 like for you um how much did covid kind of disrupt all your plans and um um how did you uh, get through it but you know the same answer i suppose from every artist you'd get is you know we we're on tour and just like that it was over um mm. our gear was still in new south wales and we thought we had four gigs left for the for the tour and we had you know every festival book for the rest of the rest of the year and just like that it was over and we had to work out how to get our gear back that was the biggest challenge initially we were okay with it we thought well you know it'll only take a month or maybe six weeks and we've never we've actually i don't think jeremy and i have ever had a break 
in 15 years at longer yeah. than, you know, two or three weeks. Um, and so initially we were kind of, you know, thinking it was pretty exciting and then eventually it became real and so, yeah, it was very strange. But I've got to say, I think we're luckier than a lot of bands in Australia and I've definitely felt for a lot of the, a lot of the band producers, friends, lots of friends that were Victorian-based and... Um, you know, but we, you know, Queensland kind of opened up a little bit earlier. And uh, I mentioned this to someone the other day, Bus Bimmer, we were kind of like the, we were the reserve bench players for, we said we're not doing any gigs. We were like, you know, we, we've never been able to say no. We've always yeah. toured. And part of, you know, a big part of us has been wanting to be able to say no or be in that position. But, I mean, we're just, we work hard and it's a bit hard for us. You know, we've got young families and we just work and we like it as well. But mm. it forced us to do that and forced us to uh, spend time with our family and do other projects that we keep talking about, you know, individual projects, which we did. And, um, but then, quite quickly, we became the, I call it the reserve bench player uh, in the <laughs> Australian music industry because all the bands that were booked for these festivals up here, all the borders would close and we seemed to fit the mould or the, or the same kind of profile. Right. And I think there was Tex Perkins couldn't play a gig and... Uh, Daryl Braithwaite and it was like a huge range of these bands wow. that they would come knocking on our door and initially we we're like no nah, we, we no we said no and we're going to spend some time with family and we're going to try to write and but uh, after a while we, we we started taking the gigs and they really suited us like, <laughs> and I'll tell you why I'll tell you the reason why um, okay. well I I've always struggled working out our crowd um particularly you know after the first 10 years uh you know we got sort of a, a pretty broad crowd you've played a few gigs we've got young kids yeah. in the crowd and we've got real really old um and old punters that come along as well that don't often leave the house and then we've got people that only come to one gig a year and it's our gig and so a lot of the time there's this confusion of whether people want to stand or sit and they fight in amongst the crowd and it's my job to either dictate that and no matter how <laughs> <laughs> and I can't ever get it right. Like, I could be in Dubbo thinking everyone wants to dance, and I tell everyone, come on, get up. And there's three right. people at the front trying to get everyone up, and everyone else is just telling them to right. sit, sit down, you wankers. And, and so, you know, and then sometimes it's the other way around. But what COVID did is actually force people to sit down. And so it was like, well, you know what? You're playing a gig in our lounge room, and you're allowed to get pissed at your table. So people were just <laughs> taking it on. It felt like... Wow, that's a bit of a turning point. It was, it was that that part was really easy for me. I just felt that people were letting their hair down at the table, and there was no confusion as to what to do at a concert. Uh, but it did take a little while to get there. I've got to say, the first couple of gigs were weird, very weird. Yeah. Well, well, you guys kind of were able to get back into it, as you kind of touched on before, relatively early. I think like as early as maybe maybe August. Am I right? Yeah, that's in August about right. last year. Now, we, in, in August last year, when you like hit the road again up in Queensland, I was I'm in Victoria, and we were still in hard lockdown. Oh, you guys like, were. I felt for you guys, and it, it was, and and so it was so strange. And similar things were kind of playing out in WA as well. So strange to see um, life going normality. back on. Yeah, yeah, normality returning in these other places. It was like. I think that was the, around about the period of time where um, things did start to divide in that there were, the, you know, among, well, for, for want of a better term, the haves and the have-nots, you know, like the, yep. your, the, de- depending on where you w- were living in Australia, your experiences started to really 
uh, differ from each other. It wasn't necessarily we're all in this together anymore. Like everybody was experiencing the the pandemic in a, in quite different ways by by the time August rolled around. Well, it's funny you say that because Jeremy and I actually felt a little bit of guilt of actually saying no to these gigs. Like it, it was a weird time, and it, it was a it was actually a time for us that our families needed us as well, and because we're all at mm. home and we'd never been able to give it give them that, and so. We'd made this commitment. We were, okay, let's do it. And we had other things we were working on. And so it wasn't like, yeah, so I felt, we felt guilty for saying no when all these bands were just really needing to go back on the road financially in particular. And, and then when we did decide to go back on the road, partly because of that, it, it felt weird to be able to, you know, to be on social media telling everyone. And a lot of hmm. the time we weren't as vocal as we normally would it was just like you know we all our mates you know down south that were just just losing their marbles and we were speaking to them you know almost weekly and it just was weird to put up posts of us having good times i mean we still do yeah. though <laughs> well you've got to you've got to i mean you know you get these situations aren't by your own design you have to make the best of uh, whatever whatever situation you're in but what are some of the other things that you were able to um to to do during that enforced kind of layoff um mate something i'm very proud of i i actually started a another company with my cousin and my, he's my best friend and we've been talking about this for a long time in fact he was talking about it for years before i jumped on board it was COVID that pushed me and it was a a live streaming business he's a really great cameraman and filmmaker and he creates television shows and and he loves music and our lives have coincided and sort of met up a lot of the time but this sort of, uh, you know, the Bunsen burner was on our ass, and we were like, oh, truth, <laughs> we better do something that keeps us kind of within the realms. And I'm, we created this show, uh, a live stream show, which was, they were private, and I was able to give um, a, lot of, a lot of bands and musos uh, gigs, essentially. So we were, you know, um, doing shows for a company weekly, and there were like, you know, host, you know, rugby league player was a host, Sam Thider, and Rupert McCall, the poet, was the co-host, and he would do a poem, and they'd have a bit of banner, and it was live, and and all the employees, you know, it was fly-in, fly-out workers that weren't able to connect with the communities or were able to see their families, and they were able to connect oh, wow. via this show, and, and I, yeah, I got to uh, bring a lot of artists on. It was essentially a, you know, music and entertainment show, and it was it was so much fun, and I, I was on the other side of the camera for once. I mean, Busby Maru did play one of the shows, but apart from that, it was, yeah, playing at the Trifford, and then one of the shows was at the Fortitude Music Hall, and, yeah, trying to give everyone a leg up to come and play a few songs acoustically, and interaction between the live stream was great. So, yeah, I I did that, and it, it kept me so busy, and I, I loved it, and I was able to uh, financially drip-feed a few of, um, you know, whatever bands I could. Um, unfortunately, a lot of that was only within sort of Queensland, but... Mm. You know, initially the the talk was try to help as many as possible, and that's why the companies were getting behind it as well. So that was that was the main thing. Um, and then also I did major major renovations on my house, uh, which yeah, basically the entire COVID, I was living in a little unit with my three uh, toddlers in one room, and one of those was in a <laughs> cot, and that was uh, that was tough. But now I'm very happy. We're back in, and feels good. Oh man, look! I, you're making me feel bad because um, you've made that uh, <laughs> that period of downtime sound really, really productive. Um, I would, I cannot. I mean, I was like, 
I went through periods of just feeling so unmotivated to anything. Um, and you know what? I will cla- will lay claim though to um, I I did half a renovation of a <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd say I didn't quite finish it though. I didn't quite finish it. I got I I, I, I did half of it, and I'm not quite sure when I'm going to get around to finishing it. That is, mate. It's funny you say that. I my wife and I had a uh, my, she she's pretty. Uh, how do I explain her? Um, well, she doesn't have much experience with renovating, but now she's unbelievable. Like she's all over it. And the way I forced her into it, she started tiptoeing around the idea of starting an Instagram page to put the pressure on. And you know, I'm from a huge family, and I knew that she wouldn't do it. So I just thought, if I actually force her to do this, she'll start making all these decisions because she's all she's always been at. I don't care. Whatever tiles you decide, you decide. And I did not want that pressure. I just wanted no. Nah, it's a lot. To yeah. Turn up with a shovel if anyone needed me because that's all I could do: dig holes. And um, <laughs> but we she started the Instagram page, and I forced her to do it. And uh, yeah, the, the pressure got to her, and she ended up um, learning lots about it. And yeah. So what was the was the Instagram page just like a kind of um, like a, a visual diary? Of- yeah, pretty much a visual diary to help her with. Um, ideas and things and it wasn't right. for it was not at all uh for you know for recognition she doesn't even she hates social media and she you know she ha- you know i try to get her to help me and you know she's not right into it but now she mm. now she is I'll, I'll give her a lot of shit about it actually she um <laughs> uh, every time she's on the phone putting something up about the Corumban coast ranch you know a nice little cushion i'm like oh influencer and she <laughs> hates it but um but the strange thing is she's really good at it and now i'm putting pressure on her to help me with busby marie because i've tried to get motivated getting back into the social media game but god i don't know if it's my age or what it is but i'm just lazy and plus you, you always seem you always struck me as being pretty pretty good at it i remember um i mean the last time we would have seen each other was when i uh, correct me if i'm wrong when i played that gig with you guys up in um in rocky Hampton. yeah the great yeah. western yeah um and you were like, you know, doing your little live videos from on the stage. And <laughs> yeah. I was like, going, these guys are all over it. You know, I, I felt like a Luddite compared to you. Well, in fairness, when we're on the road, I just find that easy because it's like, you know, we're just talking and interacting with people. But when we're not on the road and it's just like I'm hanging out with my family and I'm cooking steaks on the barbie and the kids are running around and it's bath time yeah. and I'm trying to hide in the whiskey bar. So I just... <laughs> That's the last thing on my mind, just to put up. Um, photos and yeah, yeah, a genuine post mainly. Like, yeah. and and then I do. I got to. I got to say, I do. I don't. I'm probably venting my social media. Um, I I don't hate social media. It's part of our job, and also I'm, I yeah. I envy people who are good at it. I have got to say, but what I find now is I hate nothing more than I haven't done anything for a month, and we've got a gig coming up, and all of a sudden I'm like, hey guys, I don't care about you. Uh, it seems, but can you come and pay tickets for a gig? So yeah, yeah. it's like, what you know, like if you've got to give some to get some, and it just feels weird. But I, but I, I mean, that's also that I personally, I would find that refreshingly honest. Yeah, I know. I think there are, I think there are ways to do it because because there is a part of social media that I find challenging, and and you know, I guess anybody that didn't grow up with it, it, it was kind of. Sort of foisted on us in our whether it be our twenties or our thirties. I think I was probably in my late twenties when all this started up. Um, 
So um, we haven't been brought up with it. So there is, it, it's kind of, ch- the biggest challenge for me is trying to kind of overcome this feeling of like, uh, you know, superficiality about it. You know, that people are, everybody is using it to present, you know, uh, this kind of unrealistic, um, po- overly positive version of themselves and all that kind of stuff. And, yeah. And like, it's kind of like, you, and, but it's a part of, it's a part of the music industry now. It's so intertwined with the music industry. They're, they're like locked together. So you have to be a part of it. So then it's kind of like, okay, well, if I have to do this, um, how am I going to do it in a way that um, I feel comfortable with, that, you know, makes me feel okay, like I'm not, you know, um, that I'm not uh, being disingenuous or, yeah, you know, some, some kind of authentic, authentic. way of doing it. Authentic. It has to be. But how do you so, do yeah. I mean, I, I should just get on and say exactly what I said before. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> but don't take tips from me, though. I'm the last person that you should be taking tips about social media from, though. Actually, so. in fairness, I've got to say, I we, we signed, during COVID, we signed to Sony. Um, we were with Warner for 10 years, and, um, the, uh, you know, there was a change, and we went to Sony, and uh, it... it it's been a year. It was a year until we actually met them and said, "What's the plan?" And we've got some songs, and you know, we hardly even written. Jeremy lives in Rocky. I'm in Gold Coast. And anyway, so did this all happen? Did this all happen? Sorry, uh, last year during yeah, COVID? almost twelve oh, wow. months ago to the day. Um, oh my god! And yeah. so, um, but then there was twelve months of like limbo. You know, when you, I suppose yeah. we've only been signed to one one label, but um, you know, I f- feel like if. If it wasn't COVID, you'd, you'd sign a record deal and you would just be, right, we're going, we're in writing, we're recording, we're yeah, demoing. Yeah. But it wasn't like that because of COVID. Yeah. Uh, but then, anyway, we finally went down and I've used that as an excuse to not do anything on social media until mm. we meet. And I promised myself that I was going to stop complaining about it. I'm going to embrace it. I'm not going to be – I don't want to sound like an old sooky man because, you know, I, I'm going to embrace it. Anyway, I went down there with all that, you know, very hopeful – Instagram and Facebook games just going to pick up, and then they mentioned TikTok, and I said, "Oh, well, I'm oh, not going anywhere shit. near that." And they, and by the way, they weren't <laughs> they weren't encouraging me to get on TikTok. They were just saying that, yeah, America now basically, if um, if you're trying, if you know, Australian labels trying to encourage about another artist, the only question they ask is, "What's their TikTok profile?" And if you don't have oh, one, they don't even look at it. Oh my god! Isn't that yeah, scary? Wow. And so. That, and they, I've got to say, they weren't. They know our demographic. They knew, you know, where we're coming from. We're not a hip, young, cool band. So, well, so they they knew your demographic, but it seems like you're still trying to figure that out yourself. Well, no, I suppose I'm just um, <laughs> trying. I know I, I'm smart enough as a businessman because there's businessmen in it to know that we've got to do that. We've got to do that, and we've got to stop sucking about it. That's number one. Um, yeah. Well, me in particular, I'm not going to suck about it anymore because my wife's not going to help me, she said. Um, so, so, but the TikTok thing, I went, you're kidding me. So I have, I'm now TikTok and I'm not TikTok because of that. I said, well, I'm going to do a TikTok, uh, but I, it's going to have nothing to do with music and I'm just going to do whatever the hell I want at home. And I'm just like, no, I, I didn't think anything of it. And uh, yeah, I got myself in trouble week one, first post. Just because I thought it would be funny to, I was just doing my hair, my kids' hair with a, uh, with a vacuum cleaner, my girls' hair before they go into school, and I was <laughs> putting their hair ties and ribbons okay. over their ponytails. Anyway, it was fantastic, but my wife was like, "That's <laughs> disgusting. It's filthy." And 
Anyway, so yeah, I, that's if you are looking at my TikTok, it's all about my youngest daughter stealing lipstick and smashing all over her face, or me on the barbecue burning steak, well, or look, you know, I I've never, I don't have TikTok. Um, I've never downloaded the app or seen it. The only this is all I know about TikTok, right? My kids would know more. My seven and nine year old kids would know more about TikTok than me, and they don't have it either. But um, all I know about TikTok is it's like people doing these what look to be sort of pre-choreographed dances that is so okay popular songs that's all i know that's what i thought tiktok was that was all i thought it that was. is exactly all i thought it was for the entire time until <laughs> six months ago and it took me it's taken me eight months to get on it but six months of that has been trying to work out how i get on it without doing these dances in a room that don't do anything and <laughs> I couldn't get my head around it, but it's all about the algorithm. And anyway, it's quite strange when you actually start following musicians or people. I follow landscapers that are just awesome. um, It's so, yeah, it's people our age that uh, are funny that are just at their house or so it, it is a beast. And I totally now understand that in probably five years, no one will be on Instagram. They'll all be on TikTok. So is it like Instagram, but just more video orientated rather it's than It's just still, quick. It's just images. quick. It's actually quite sad because it makes you think that you could, songs that used to go for three to five minutes, you might as well just write two minutes maximum now. Like, I don't know how people have the, um, <laughs> the young kids in particular are going to have the uh, mental endurance to put mm. up listening and waiting for the chorus to come in. Yeah. <laughs> but I wonder, I t- you know, I, like, to go on a bit of a side angle from that, though, I mean, I wonder if, in a sense, like what the, the way that uh, technology and social media and all of these things are influencing music now, in a way, it's kind of making things kind of go back to how things were like in the fifties when everything was like yeah. single. It was all about singles, true. not records, That's and like so you know true. the ju- jukebox songs in the fifties and all those early Beatles songs. I mean, none of those songs went for more than two minutes. No, that That's was just punchy, and and also the way they were released. It was just just feed people stuff and mm. i mean i wish i could be willie nelson but you always talk about willie nelson you know everyone and we're the same i'm definitely like this but i i when i do an album i think it's just got to have my it's got to be the album of the world it's got to be the greatest thing that's ever happened for mm. us and it, it might if it takes two years grab it takes three whatever whatever it is it's just got to be perfect and and then you'll release it and COVID comes for example and then you're on to your next album so yeah uh you know, in um, comparison to Willie Nelson, who released four albums a year, he was a, one of the greatest songwriters. But he just released any song he loved. He would record yeah. any song, and there was no, um, you know, there was no. It wasn't pretentious. It wasn't. Um, he wasn't a cop out. He just would just record it because he loved music. And I, I love that about Willie Nelson. I kind of wish I had that sort of work ethic, just to punch out songs constantly. And I think that's mm. kind of where it's moving. But I'm a I'm a turtle, mate. I'm I'm behind the eight ball twenty four seven with the with the game, but I'm quite comfortable where I am at the moment. I wonder if um, I wonder, yeah, what we'll see over the next kind of ten years in terms of. I know it's something that's been talked about a bit about the the full length album, the LP. You know, what relevance it has these days. Will it continue to exist? Um, there seems to still be enough, even though. In a commercial sense, we're sort of moving away from it. It still feels like, from the artist side of the fence, they still probably because 
so so many of us still grew up with them. Yeah, we, they're still kind of revered. So it's almost like the artists are the ones keeping the LP alive, not the consumer. I totally agree with you, but I I don't want to release just singles. I mean, if mm. I was a we're we're not that band. We we don't necessarily mm. have singles, um, and all the music I love and the bands I listen to, old or or current, they're not necessarily single bands they they might have cult sort of songs that come across as singles to their following but they're not you know so yeah i yeah you're right you're right i agree hopefully hopefully you know i reckon the best case scenario for it is rather than us rather than the industry and and consumers and everybody sort of all being forced to kind of veer one way or another depending on you know where the momentum of technology and all that kind of stuff is shifting hopefully the future will just be more of a broadening of everything so that there's everybody can just will be allowed to kind of just do things any way they want consume the music any way you want create music any way you want and there'll be there'll be a place for all of it rather than then you, just rather than yeah. having to give up something in order to go you know what i mean which is probably how it has always worked in the past well i've got to say one thing that i i'm i'm feeling that is happening now is when when I was first trying to cut it in, you know, uh, coming from Rockhampton, a bit intimidating. It definitely felt like a bit of a a club, a music club. You had to be kind of earmarked by someone to get through, mm. uh, you know, to get through it all. Because there's so much talent, like, there's so much talent, and if you skip through, it's someone's helped you along the way. Where now there's none of that, because it's all about what people think. Because you don't have to have a label, you don't have to. Have a yeah. management. You can do it in your bedroom if you've got talent, or if something connects, it connects because it connects. So, mm. I mean, it's almost a level playing field, which scares me a bit because we don't have good streams <laughs> compared to those young artists. <laughs> but you know, I I do I do like that. I do like that approach. You can make it from anywhere. Well, tell me uh, more about uh, growing up in in Rocky. You know, like um, is is Rocky cons- uh, considered? Far north Queensland or central Queensland? Yeah, it's central Queensland. But um, I, I, I think of it as north Queensland because once I get past the Sunshine Coast, yeah, that's, uh, that's all just north Queensland. Oh, it, it is. It totally is. I mean, when I left, when you leave uni or when you sorry leave school and you go to Brisbane or Sydney or wherever you go to uni, if you meet anyone that's further past, you know, Bundaberg North, yeah, you kind of uh, attach to them and yeah, you. I know it's like Central Bay and Harvey Bay and areas and Central Queensland, North Queensland, but you kind of, you do attach, you do, you, you've grown up very similar and the further south you go, you grow up, you know, different, not for worse or better, but uh, you just can relate to it and say, yeah, I, I, I yeah, I, we definitely sound alike anyway. Uh, there's, the older I've gotten, I've realised I sound a lot like, um, a lot more rocker than I thought I wanted to sound. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, look, we all we all sound, you know, different to how we probably think we do. But, uh, but, um, but like the one thing that really struck me when I played that show was when you were releasing your album, uh, Postcards from the Showhouse, um, up in Rockhampton. And I, I know it was like it was your, like your big sort of hometown gig, and um, and it was in like a um, this. It was a pub. But it was outside of the pub where it was like a, but like uh, what's it called? Well, a ro- rodeo, rodeo ring. Yeah, it used to be a rodeo ring. Instead, well, it was still at the Fucking time. They still rodeo. run rodeos. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, never played. You know, 
Jeff and I spent three months touring in America. N- never seen a rodeo ranch yeah. until I went to Rockhampton <laughs> to play with yeah. you guys. And and then you know it was like sold out. There were literally thousands of people at this gig, and it really struck me as like oh, you know this reminds me so much of. Um, starting out in Perth and when Jeb and I were getting popular in WA the parochial kind of thing the, yeah um, it, it just it felt like you guys were you know the real um, North Queensland heroes well mate it's and like um, a lot, it's, like almost a, like a, it's almost like a state of its own right or a country of its own it, it mate totally and it's like a, a local loyalty that we didn't even know like you know, when you're coming from Rocky, you just feel like you've got to make it in Sydney and you've got to make it in Melbourne. Like Brisbane, you didn't, at the time, you didn't think Brisbane was a thing. But, yeah, uh, I mean, all credit goes a lot to our uh, the head of our record company at the time, Tony Harlow from Warner. It was He just saw that. He saw that, you know, but we didn't. We still didn't know this. We just thought we'd just mm. got to get out and get to all the cities. And he yeah, was like, no, yeah. Yeah, I'm, no way. Cities are the last thing you need. You start at your hometown. And I'm like, yeah, but we... We play there, you know, we play there all the time, every weekend. And when we, you know, it does have a lot of tall poppy syndrome aspects, regional towns. Uh, but yeah. for whatever reason, they embraced uh, Jeremy and I. And, mate, it's, it's, it is. It's crazy. And we just, um, we never quite understood it, but we love it so much. And um, and we now understand it a lot more too. And so uh, mm. when I'm looking at other young artists that are probably thinking the same thing, you know, because they've grown up in these country towns but haven't seen the big bright lights and they think that's where the only way you got ahead but Mm. realistically it's like no nurture nurture the actual crowds and go back to all the places where you used to play at your weddings and 21st and put on Mm. an actual show with lights and group production and tell your stories or whatever it is you do and they'll just be like wow i remember seeing them first i saw them first you know and Mm. i know i felt that way when i would see bands, you know, whoever it was, whether I knew I liked them or not, I just uh, felt some ownership. And yeah, it's, exactly. That's yeah. what I was going to say. It's an ownership thing. I really relate to that because I think it's really similar coming from WA. Um, you know, and well, for for me, it was Perth, obviously. Yeah, it was a massive state. But um, but you see it all the time. You know, in music or in sport. I mean, it's more obvious, I guess, in sport. But like, um, there's a because of that isolation that you you grow up with um and being in north queensland or or central queensland is probably similar it does breed i think a a bit of a like us against the world kind of mentality and yep and and people do become invested in their artists there and uh, you know and as long as you you are representing them in a way that they feel that you know they feel represents them really well you know um so you're not uh, you're not dickheads um, then, yeah, the, the loyalty is astonishing. And, and I think, you know, t- 26 years later, um, Jeb and I and, and, and Bob as well, we are still reaping the, the benefits yeah. and rewards of a, of a, of a, really, um, a really invested, loyal West Australian music community, you know, that we still get invited to do all these great things over there and people still come out to see us and... Yeah, I, I, and so yeah, so I guess my point of all that was yeah, I saw a similar thing with you guys up in Rocky. Oh mate, I'm very. Uh, that makes me feel great actually. I've got to say, um, obviously a fan of Jeb, but I you know love what you've done with Bob Evans. But growing up as a young kid, um, 
just admiring all these bands. You know, you never, I never thought it would happen, and I never thought that our hometown would be the first to really get behind us. You know, it just feels weird going back there, and I still know everyone, so I almost know everyone <laughs> in the crowd. You know, I'm, from, yeah, I'm yeah. the youngest of eight children, so wow. mum and dad have 30, about to have 34 grandkids. Of Holy sp- shit. Yeah, that's, and the 34th is, and I'm probably spilling the beans earlier than my wife uh, wants to tell everyone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're getting an exclusive. We're getting an exclusive, mate. Actually, you are because oh. she hasn't told her work yet. But, <laughs> but whatever. Uh, yeah. So, Busby's are growing, but I think that's oh, the congratulations. last. Congratulations! Yeah, congratulations. So, growing up in such a big family, was it a musical family? Um, where did you fall in that lineage? Were you sort of in the middle? Or you were older, younger? No, I'm the baby. I'm the baby, and the, the baby. Um, so how yeah. do you how do you how what's that like having all those older brothers and sisters, um, uh, you know, in a country town? Um, it, I because I, I can I come from a family of three. I can imagine when you're one of eight at the bottom of one of eight, you really you're kind of just fending for yourself, or you <laughs> you you you're just trying to keep up with your your older siblings. A lot of the time you do, but I was I don't know if I was lucky. Or I I used to hate it growing up, but I was the there's a big gap. There's seven year gap between my next brother up he's the one that moved down the road so he's the closest but they're all like a year apart a year 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 and uh mum and dad had a bit of a spell there and yeah (laughs) and back they went but mum had seven kids (laughs) um seven kids under 28 and she tells the stories we we, we're still learning so much from mum and what she like every time she got pregnant she said she cried and but the greatest week of her life was after she had the baby because the the midwives were that good back in the day where they'd just take the baby and let you just sleep for a couple of weeks and the kids weren't allowed yeah, to visit right. and so dad had the hard yards there and mum finally got a break so i was like yeah, yeah wow the times were so different but mum had an identical twin and uh she also had eight kids almost like identical gaps um i mean everyone just had lots of kids in rocky i suppose and <laughs> um, they don't so much anymore. My family's the exception, and it is amazing. My my wife's from Texas, and her parents are Pakistani, arranged marriage. It's like chalk and cheese upbringing. Wow. And when she yeah. came over, she's from a like grew up single mother and uh, one sister, and she saw it, and you know she's wanted to have a big family ever since she met me, and I've actually been the opposite because I've I got married a bit late and. Well, I'm a bit unfit, you know. I had to chase him around a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I was a bit old, bit old, but I wasn't complaining. But I do, I do, I definitely value the happiness of big families and Christmas and, you know, all those big celebrations. It's not easy a lot of the time, yeah. but it's so good. And yeah, I, I, I had, um, I suppose I'm, because of that big gap, the seven year gap, I'm, I'm definitely mum's favourite. And all my brothers and sisters <laughs> won't complain about it. They'll complain about everyone else, but. Yeah. They let me get away with it. So I've had a bit of a lucky run. What's your earliest musical memory um, for growing up in Rocky? Your first, you've, the first time you, you, you can remember hearing, you know... Music, yeah. record being played or the radio? Or... Mate, I've got some really great memories. And um, my old man, he's got dementia now, and he's actually with us at the moment. He's, he's him and mum are coming to hang out for Easter, and he can sing, but he doesn't know the words fully all the way to any song but oh my gosh okay. he can sing opera no, he's not he's not the lone ranger there Thomas. no he's definitely no. not <laughs> but like don't worry he's, i i'd like to say i get my confidence from him but i'm nowhere near confident as as my old man he'll walk into a restaurant and he'll start singing 
and it, <laughs> and we all put our heads down. We used to be so shamed, so ashamed yeah, of yeah. it. And <laughs> the older we got, we're like, why are we ashamed of it? That is so awesome. I want to be just like that now that I'm older and I'm a dad. And, <laughs> um, so, but my memory, earliest memories of just him singing at every pub. Mum, you know, we used to live across the road from a pub, and Dad's a builder, and go get your father, tell him dinner's ready, and. I go across and, you know, I'm drinking pink lemonade and pack of twisties up at the bar and he's singing Frank Sinatra and Bing Crosby and away yeah. we go. And, that, and then mum's ringing the publican saying, get them both home. So he <laughs> <laughs> could never quite successfully bring him home because he would be singing opera-esque, um, you know, Frank Sinatra songs. So very great memories of that early. And I, 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 all my brothers and sisters are quite musical, a couple of my yeah, right. Yeah, one sister can sing really well and another brother in particular. But the one brother who can't sing, he's the only one actually, not not a musical bone in his body. He was the one that steered me into, I don't want to say good taste in music because it's observational, but yeah, but you know. I, I love, like, I still love his taste of music. And I mean, it's freezed, it's frozen. Ever since he was married, it hasn't changed. And that's probably why I like right. it. But yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, but he was the one that, I, you know, very importantly took me from singing Wilson Phillips in the mirror with my sister uh, to uh, to all these other bands thinking, maybe I could write these songs, and I was writing lyrics down, and, and that was from an early age, so I've, I've got to thank him for that. I, I do tell him that occasionally. He's very proud of that, considering he can't sing. How old were you when you started kind of formulating ideas for songs, like writing lyrics or kind of coming up with your own song ideas? I reckon maybe 13. 12, 13, yeah. you it's know. Same age as, same as me. I think it's a really common age. Yeah. I, like, it's. I, I don't know, something happens, I don't know if it's got anything to do with puberty or what's going on with all the, you know, hormonal and chemical changes that's going on in your head or your body, but it seems to be a really common age it, for people to either pick up an instrument or start running songs or... Well, the thing is, I, I learned guitar and saxophone and all that young, piano. I did all that young and I can't, like, I'm useless at all that. I... I when people, you know, I've, I should just put a disclaimer out there when I say that. I, um, I, I wish I had a stuck with it, just like most people did. But yeah. um, I don't consider myself naturally um, gifted when it comes to playing an instrument. I can yeah. sing and I know what's in and out of tune. And But what I do love yeah. most of all is, you know, writing songs. And yeah. I, I think I was, you know, looking back, I, I don't know anyone else in my grade or my bunch of friends like and maybe that was what kept me going because it it was my thing my thing was writing yeah. songs whether i was putting shit on someone being funny or whether i was right you know <laughs> getting everyone in a room saying here's a song i wrote about this girl i met you know whatever it was you know <laughs> Look, i've still got her i heard that song the other day. oh god the first song one of the first songs i wrote just strangely had great melody it is so funny though to listen to wait what song it's it's a song i wrote uh, I think I started writing it when I was 12 and finished when I was 15 and all my mates used to think it was the greatest thing ever and make me sing it at all the parties. It was it was called Am- <laughs> Amanda Moo. Amanda Moo. Yeah. So I get, like a, a, a girl I met with her first... name was Amanda and I for somehow I've... <laughs> oh, mate, it's so hilarious. Amanda <laughs> Moo. Amanda Moo, baby, where are you? Where the hell are you been? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a little bit more... It's more poetic than... Um, uh, the first songs that I wrote when I was in high school that I liked to play to people about um, a girl, it was called I Hate You. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's rock and roll. That's more rock and roll than Amanda Moon, mate. I'll take that any day. 
It wasn't really leaving much to the imagination, though, was it? No, I'll tell you what, I don't reckon um, you had... How'd you go with that relationship? <laughs> it doesn't sound very good. Well, it, well, it never... You know, um, strangely enough, it never really got off the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I can't blame her for that. I, 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 was, I was deep in the throes of my grunge obsession, so, you know... Um, everything had to be, you know, pretty gloomy. Yeah, um, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was, it was, it was either I hate you or I hate myself. You know, that's great. One of the two. That is awesome, <laughs> man. I love that. Oh yes. Tell me about um um, and we'll we'll crack into your uh, three songs as uh, really really soon. But um, I, I I'm interested to hear about um how you uh hooked up with Jeremy, the other half of Busby Maru. How how that uh that friendship and, and uh, mateship kind of uh, where that all began and how the band started. Yeah, well, Jeremy, we're, Jeremy and I are both from Rockhampton. Yeah. We went to different schools. I mean, Rocky's not small, but it's not, it's not, it's not big, but it's definitely not small. Yeah. Um, but well, I was a couple of years older than him and I, I left, I went to uni and I was, I was studying law and on the weekends I was, planned you know cover gigs at every single pub just solo and and then eventually i decided i finished law i stuck it in there for mum and dad i graduated and wow yeah, good for you yeah. that's amazing well, i ended up being a lawyer for five years actually Bloody i was a hell. criminal lawyer and prosecuting as a prosecutor i was prosecuting people for the same things i was doing on the weekends so i was a bit hypocritical so I believe that. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing so but i mean that must have um like, did that come in handy when it came to, like, having to deal with contracts and stuff? No, that that's hilarious that you say that because I was telling my brother about this yesterday because he's got kids that are off to uni and he's like, they're not built for uni. And I was not built for uni. I, 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 if I went back now, it probably would be, but I just, my brain wasn't, I don't think it was ready, but I, one thing I did have and I, and, or at least if I didn't have it, I have it now because of that is a determination and I don't give up and... I just keep going, and, and I don't know whether that's I'm scared of mum and dad uh, failing or whatever the hell it was, Catholic guilt, I put it mm. all down to. But I mm. said that to my brother. I was like, the, the best thing I got out of that, you know, I'm still, still paying off a hex bill. Um, I was a lawyer for five <laughs> years, but I'll, I will never take it back because I, I, everyone dropped out around me, and they were so much smarter, and they were from, you know, better families, well off, and I just didn't quite yeah, understand yeah. that, and I stuck in there, and slowly the older i get i got a bit better at it but um yeah so i, I learned a lot from that don't give up and you, you'll actually might start enjoying it but i didn't wow, i gotta say amazing i didn't quite en- enjoy it i i was wanting to play and sing music for a living and yeah the, yeah the time came and i had a i had a bit of an ultimatum i got offered a a, a job like as a junior crown prosecutor um and i said no i said no no i and they knew I was into music, singing on the weekends. And so I went home to Rocky and I had this big uh, ambition to travel around the world and I was going to take my guitar and write music and just, just do it. And while I was back there, Jeremy, my mate used to sing in Jeremy's band and I would come home on the uni holidays and here's Jeremy, you know, playing thousand miles an hour and just the most talented guitarist you've ever seen and everyone would just be sitting there watching him and my mate singing and looking at all the girls and i'd sing in their breaks i'd sing my original love songs and everyone would go back to talking <laughs> and you know they'd come back on singing mustang sally and oh the girls would love him right. again and anyway that went on for a couple of years and i did have it in my back of my mind going oh jeremy how i reckon he'd make me sound a lot better and um 
it kind of eventuated. I came home after uni. I went home to save some money. I was going to travel and do all that. And Jeremy and I started playing. I said, I've got some songs. You want to help me do some demos? And uh, we literally came around to my dad's, mum and dad's house. And my brothers had a office out the back they were working, running trucks from and a building construction company. And we used to play there every Tuesday and Thursday. And then every weekend we'd sing and uh, you know, we we're basically playing for, playing for free there for a long time, and then yeah. it just went nuts. And then this, that's kind of where the, like we were just playing originals, and then we we're dropping in sort of bigger songs in the meantime. Like we were telling everyone that here's a new John Farnham song, or here's a Cold Chisel song, and everyone would be that drunk, and we'd be playing a Busby Maru song. You know, and, <laughs> like, oh. and then over time, we kind of convinced them to like us. That's what I I put it down to. I've always been a key manipulator. I have, so I reckon I got them like that. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um and and then yeah so I didn't go overseas. A friend helped us put an album, an EP together, and uh, then an album, and it got picked up like in the Sydney Morning Herald somehow. And then um, we got an opportunity to be part of this album called "He Will Have His Way," which was celebrating yes. Crowded, Crowded House, House and Neil Finn, yeah, yeah. Tim, Neil, Tim and Neil Finn, and. We were the only unsigned band, I think, at the time, and we were still in Rocky, and we couldn't believe it. And you had Chris Cheney on it, and Paul Kelly, and Angus Stone, and Luke Steele, and and then from there, and you know, Triple J started playing us, and yeah, it was just a weird little weird little roller coaster. But I've got to say, that was really fun. That that was just every phone call was after that was just like, what is going on? And everything was great. And then in a blink of an eye. Instead of being happy about your job, you were like, "What? How how much is that festival worth? Hang on, what? Where do we go next?" You know, started being a bit cynical, yeah, and, yeah. and so we've had to refresh and go, "What? Wow! Remember, it just used to be amazing, and then if it it's been fifteen years or ten years, it's like mm. it's a weird thing. We've got to continue to remind ourselves that we do this for a living, and it's unreal, and don't ever stop. And you know, it takes up a lot of our effort and time, and but." I love it. We love it. Yeah, I think when you're doing something for that long, um, and and this and it doesn't stop, you know, um, sort of being over 26 years, and you're always kind of um, checking back in, and like, I guess your relationship with your work and 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 the the, the business of being a musician, you know, it's not something that you always kind of are prepared for, right? It, often just kind of happens it's so then, true um, that is so true your relationship with it just kind of changes a lot like, from yeah. over the years and there, there, there are times when you're totally at peace with it and there are times where it's really uncomfortable and you're not quite sure what you want um, and also too because it often comes at the expense of other things in your life yep. so you think well you know am I putting too much into this thing and missing out on you know other things whether that be other opportunities or relationships and things like that so you just constantly I, 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 f- I reckon that starts kicking in probably yeah at about the 10 year mark and from my experience it, then it just doesn't stop it's, it's <laughs> that's it's a it's, continual thing that'll probably be there you know yeah until you drop drop dead mate I, and i know that's so true and you get better at running a business because you're a business like it doesn't sound very rock and roll to say what do you do for yeah. a living i'm a I'm a director of a business, you know. I, yes, I run a business, yeah. and but that's what you do. You just, and yeah. and that's why I talk, and I'm you know bang banged on a lot about the social media thing because it's a business and it's so strange. And you know, I'm not an artistic kind of artist, and I you know I don't die for my art. And I've, I'm a family guy. I've got lots of kids, and I've got uh, heaps of 
beautiful family and friends and I actually value that so much. But I'm obsessed with Busby Maru and you know what, I could definitely go and make so much more money and do other things elsewhere but I just love what it gives me back in life and mm. and I feel like it's not it hasn't stopped and it's still given and so um yeah I'm excited I still am excited about the future I'm still excited about tomorrow and the next day and the day after and it's not about money for me um it's it's literally you know um obviously I've got to keep the roof on the head and feed the family and I'd love for my wife not to be able to work and all that sort of stuff but at the end of the day i I don't know, there's a weird goal at the end of my head and that's just to play to heaps more people. Um, all right, three songs. What did you? Firstly, did you come up with a... Did, did you think of a theme that you use? Because often we, you, know, you need some kind mm. of theme to hang songs off because, you know, as opposed to just being like, what are your three favourite songs? So um, did you come up with a theme? Yes, I did. Um, I juggled between... I mentioned this earlier about my brother who couldn't sing. Um, oh, he can't, he's not musical. Uh <laughs> I was thinking maybe initially I was like, well, maybe of the the earliest songs I can remember singing, and they were like these fun cheesy songs I used to sing with my sister. And but these these are the songs that my brother, well before the internet, well before Spotify, well before, and I didn't listen to radio. Um, yeah, I just my brother had certain albums, and they're songs from these sp- specific albums that he'd give me, and nice. that I'd write lyrics down. And um, I listen, I funny, I listen back to them today. Because I was like, this is going to be a little blast from the past. And a couple of them were just like, just so crazy. They were just, they brought back amazing memories. Production was either yes. better or worse than I thought. Or, or the song was just so, so much shitter than I thought, remembered. But, yeah, but for yeah. me, it was a moment of, um, it, it, it took me from just being someone that liked listening to music and singing it to, I want to write it, if that makes sense. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I love this theme. This is great. Yeah, and so that, and these were all from my brother, essentially. And there was a bunch of them. I wrote down about, you know, about six of them, seven of them. But I'll, I'll, I'll run you through the list here. And so, what's the? We'll, we'll, we'll go through. We'll, we'll go through one by one. So give us one now, and we'll, um, we'll have a quick little listen to it. And uh, yeah, okay. So chat. first one is uh, Talking Heads, Ride to Nowhere, and that that's oh. off the album. Um, Little creatures. Well, we know where we're going, but we don't know where we've been. And we know what we're knowing, but we can't say what we've seen. And we're not little children, and we know what we want and the future. Give us time to 
sure lots of people will know this song. What's uh, Tell us about your memory, um, your specific memory of this one. This is actually the first CD that my brother ever gave me. Like, I, it wasn't just his. So I kind of skipped the, the list here, but it wasn't his. They, he bought it for me for Christmas. And um, I didn't even know who Talking Heads were. I had no idea. And, yeah, I just... Um, you know, there was a bunch of songs on this album, and she was was one of them. And I, it just was like, a little, it was just so different to anything. You know, mm. as I was saying, I was singing Wilson Phillips, "Hold On" in the mirror, and Kylie Minogue, and all that with my sister. They were the songs that I was singing, like all these pop songs. And then my brother's like, "No, no, here, listen to this album." And it was just, yeah. I was like, "Oh, what is this?" And so I was obsessed with anything I'd listen to anything didn't matter what it was and say yeah this kind of maybe just triggered my little brain a bit i i kind of missed the talking heads no one i was too young to sort of be around when they were at their peak and nobody introduced them to me so i kind of missed them so the little that i do know about talking heads is purely retrospective and and it's all the sort of big hits that everybody else knows but um, it's interesting because I think you're the third guest, really, on this show that has uh, um, picked a Talking Heads song. Yeah, so can I? I um, yeah, I've got to say also more than any other, more than any other, uh, any other. Wow. Artist. Well, yeah, I've yeah. got to say also, I don't know any other material uh, like very well. I, I didn't connect to their other albums. I didn't connect to their previous albums. Um, and, and like it, it was just uh, a symbolic thing that my brother. Well, obviously could see maybe he was making me trying not to listen to my other sister my other brother's music yeah and, and so for Gen- me it was like a memory in, yeah. of it. and and i i often think about that you know so yeah that's crazy did you listen back to this song again for the first time in years and what how did how did it sound i listened to the whole album today and um it sounded sensational like unreal yeah, like I, thought, I wanted to go back and i thought listen that to would it. be the case yeah, yeah. um but I, I totally relate so much to that because I had a similar experience just recently. I, I did a podcast with my brother Brett, who's the drummer in Jebediah. And um, there was this record um, by, by a band called Nazareth. They were this Scottish 70s um, kind of hard rock ver- verging on metal band. Um, most well known for their cover of Love Hurts. Oh, yeah. You know, Love yeah, Hurts, yeah. 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 Um, but um, they put out a heap of records, and we had one. We had one of their vinyl records that we found at the at the rubbish tip that we brought home, and we used to listen to it all the time on high speed. Yeah, more exciting. <laughs> we'll do that anyway, podcast. So we, used yeah. to, we we loved this record, right? And um, and I listened to it um, for the first time, you know, in you know decades, and it sounded awesome. It sounded so good. The production was so warm and crunchy. Like, it wasn't just... And, you know, I guess the, the, the thing I'm thinking about is how, like, when you have this time, this distance, it is amazing how when you listen back to some stuff, some of it just sounds so much better than you thought it would. And like you were saying, other stuff sounds bad. I, I've listened to stuff from my teenage years, you know, like all the, all some of the classic kind of grunge songs that I haven't listened to since the 90s, that I just remember as an impressionable teenager just thinking... This this sounds so amazing, and everything that I do doesn't sound anywhere near as good as this. And and I've listened back to some of it now and go, oh, that's kind of shit. shit. I know, <laughs> I know. All the stuff is like it's so funny, and and it's it's probably why I didn't listen to them um, after that. I was only young and thought, oh, you know, I listened to them because my brother told me, and that was cool. And I mean, li- the lyrics. That's just, I'm just reading it now. I've just like brought it up because I want to know what the next lyric lyric is. But road to nowhere. I. St- 
I really want to write a song that Paul Kelly can write or, or you know, or a, yeah. or a Tim Finn. Or, but where do they come up with these, like, you know, these taglines, Road to Nowhere? And, you know, that was probably the first time that was sung about. And, yeah, it's just clever. And the production was insane and, and clever and interesting mm. and still still poppy and hooky. Well, it was, really prog- it was a real progressive take on pop music, uh, you know, wasn't it? I think that was, that was kind of, it was like art, artistic pop music. Um, I, I feel like that was kind of the vibe yeah. um, at what people were kind of getting off at that time, you know, is that it was intelligent and it was progressive and it was, um, you know, challenging, but, but it was still kind of working within those kind of pop, popular music kind of tropes. Well, I, I mean, I, have you heard of or have you seen... I know I definitely haven't seen it, but I want to see it. David Byrne, the lead singer, has got a like a um, unbelievable solo kind of theatrical thing that's been on the road. Everyone's been talking about oh, it. It's, okay. it's like a it's like a theatre production now that he goes around and and he's got like a yeah, twenty right. piece kind of band that that, that 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 it's all acoustic and they dance and I've I've seen a video of it. But everyone, yeah, everyone, it's a must see. Um, so you know he's always out there and thinking of things that definitely not you know definitely i'm not on that level and i and i never will be i just <laughs> I, but i do respect a lot of that you never say never you, you never know how, how you know how eccentric you'll get as you yeah <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe actually maybe that'd be good uh, what's uh that's awesome first choice okay what's uh song number two uh song number two is don williams i believe in you okay don will now uh, i I can't, off the top of my head, I can't... Um, so he's like an old school country dude, right? And okay. uh, he's got a real deep, beautiful voice. And yeah, the way it goes is, I don't believe in fairy tales, or blah, blah, blah. He doesn't believe in all these awesome things, these, you know, things that the world believes in, religion and this and that. But, right. And then the tagline is, but I believe in you. Right. And it is the best melody and... I've often tried to like sing it and cover it, but I just can't. Like it's uh, it's so slow and yeah, and it's again it was. Uh, and my brother still has this on. He's got a playlist, and you know it's the same playlist over and over. But every time I go to his house, I just wait for this one to come on. I love it. It's yeah. Have a listen. Have a listen to it. It's a beautiful, beautiful old uh, vintage song. I call it vintage country. I don't believe in superstars, organic food and foreign cars. I don't believe the price of gold, the certainty of growing old. That right is right and left is wrong, that north and south can't get along. That east is east and west is west, and being first is always best. But I believe in love. I believe in babies I believe in mom and dad And I believe in you Well, I don't believe that heaven waits For only those who congregate I like to think of God as love He's down below, he's up above He's watching people everywhere He knows who does and doesn't care And I'm an ordinary man Sometimes I wonder who I am But I believe in love 
Sort of what sort of era, what kind of year this would have come Oh, out. look, I'm going to say 70s. Um, uh, maybe 60s, even. God, hang on, here it is. I'll have a look. Oh, you have, yeah, I was just looking it up too. Um, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it, when, it, when it gets to sort of late 60s, early 70s, stuff. oh, 1980, there you go, 1980. Oh, and here you go, it won a Grammy Award for Best Country Song that year. Wow. I did okay. not know that. Um, and so it's, it's kind of like a, it's got a sort of baritone kind of croonery. Oh, it's real. It's the tempo is so slow and there is no rush at all. It's actually all melody and lyrics, melody and lyrics. And, yeah. uh, it's a, you know, when you're, I don't know, young and you're impressionable or, or even now still me trying to write a song, you know, trying to, for it, to try to take away all the purpose of what you're writing the song for. You're not writing for radio or, or you're not writing mm. for this, but that's so hard to get out of your mind, just writing for yourself. And I just feel like this is just the sweet spot of of uh, lyrical, uh, original melodies, simple uh, and effective. So good. You know you know what is a real... I'll give you a tip. You know what is a really good way to get the thought of radio out of your mind and the thought of like the audience who are buying your records out of your mind when you're writing yeah how is is when radio stops playing you and people stop buying your records <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then it's a lot easier <laughs> you know what she's we're on the fringe there i reckon um and even the songs but it, they, but it comes and goes though that's the thing it comes and goes because well, like if you yeah. keep going long enough you know it's no no but no artist has like a, a just a straight you know trajectory up or down or Every you know, if you hang around long enough, um, and you only have to look at like dudes that are still going from the fifties and sixties, you know. Yeah. Geez, it comes and goes, and it comes and goes. Yeah, and I suppose the less you're thinking about it, that's when it probably happens the most. And and I, you know, yeah. I I feel that, you know, I think I'm just trying to um, convince myself that it's about to happen. But I feel like that's where I'm at at the moment. I'm just relaxed. I'm relaxed, ready to roll. But like, it's a, I, man, it's a good. It's a good. I think that's a really good place to be. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I, creative for creative, creatively speaking, for songwriting. Yeah, to, one hundred percent. And all the songs that have been played of ours over the last few years, you know, the most are songs that I we don't even play in our live set. You know, yeah, right. and I don't want to mention those because probably some people like them, but it's like doesn't connect <laughs> for me, and it doesn't. I don't feel like it connects to our actual genuine audience. But uh, yeah, so and and that's just from from us maybe trying to write a bit harder. Or having yeah. a co-write or something, but yeah. yeah, no, I think anything authentic and genuine that we ever do just connects a bit more than you know. Absolutely, yeah. All right, uh, what's uh, final song? Song number three. What do we got? This is REM song called the Radio Song or Radio Song. Mm-hmm. 
This was the, you know, the album. My, all my mates at the time at school were all into um, Guns N' Roses and right, yep. John Bon Jovi, and I just, I yep. was REM, and I, I, yeah. I remember having, I get, I got a punch up, my first and only punch up ever, actually, <laughs> in year seven, and um, it was over, it was with my best friend, and it was, oh, and I was, quite, <laughs> the funny thing about it is, you know, they were. I think hanging a bit of shit on me about it, and I was trying to make everyone listen to it. And and isn't that weird? Uh, getting a punch up over this, but anyway, yeah, a funny thing about it with, with your best friend. Well, over an argument between Michael Stipe and John Bon Jovi. Well, it wasn't so much that. <laughs> what it was is my mate actually knew more about music than I did, but I was I'd never liked um, I never liked Guns N' Roses. I just wasn't a fan and he was the biggest fan and I was saying, no, it's... I was the same. Well, you must have known some... Look, you say your mate knew a lot more about music than you did, but you must have intuitively known something about music because history has been a lot kinder on REM. <laughs> yes, and, that is and true. And people who, people who liked them in the, you know, 80s or whatever than, uh, than, than the other bands. Well, you know. I'll tell you why um, he knew a lot more than me. I was calling them REM I was saying, no, oh. it's Rem, Ooh. Rem. And he was like, no, it's Ooh. R.E.M. And that was what the fight was over. Was, anyway, oh, yeah. hilarious is that. Oh, and then, dear. yeah, good punch to the face, finished that. And um, anyway. Did he, also, did he also punch on with you if your, like, grammar was a little bit incorrect? Oh, uh, no. And I pri- the problem is, I, I, it was probably me that instigated because I pride myself. I used to pride myself on grammar and punctuality. And he made he made a fool of me in front of everyone. Here he was talking about how good Guns N' Roses was and correcting me on the band. It's R-E-M, mate. You don't even know who you like. I'm like, what? I had to go home, tell my brother. And my brother's like, yeah, it's R-E-M. I'm like, you didn't tell me that. You gave me the record. Here I am. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, this song, and I listen back. Actually, here's one of those songs I listen back to today that... Oh, mate, I knew every word. There's even a, like a weird 
believe it or not, in an REM song, a rap in it. And I know I knew I knew every single word, but the song's pretty shit actually. And I do remember them saying because I went and watched one of their concerts at the Brisbane Entertainment Centre that they um, they didn't they don't play happy shiny people anymore, and they don't play the radio song. And right, you know. Um I, I, I can totally understand that. I, I do have a real soft spot for shiny, happy people because I love um, uh, oh, Pierce, uh, Kate Pearson, I think her name is, the um, other vocalist on that song. Is, uh, oh, just, yeah. I think she's one of the, one of the best f- female rock vocalists of my, you know, our generation. But it's interesting that that radio... I mean, like, let's, let's just kind of, you know, unpack this a little bit. They've... The first song on their album yeah, record, yeah, was a song called "Radio Song." Yep, and that was, f- which was followed up with "Lucy." Lucy. Yeah, yeah, which, it was too. Yeah, which you know probably is that their most well-known hit. It has probably to be close, and is, close too, right? Is it weird that the the so, that's a song like, and you know, back in the day, maybe it was a cassette. I got a CD. I can't remember, but the the reason I like that song much is because it was the first one on, and this is. This song is so important to how I track list albums now because right. I'm sure that they, for me personally, I just, I would listen to the one by one by one by one and then write, I weirdly, I'll just sit there and write lyrics and I'd pause, lyric, go back, write lyric. I would write the lyrics on a pen and paper. This is well before the internet. And, yeah, yeah. And so, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember doing that. just, you know, by the time I'd heard the song, uh, by the time I'd written the song out, I'd heard it twenty times, and so even if it was probably the shittest song ever, I love, I would love it, and I, <laughs> and I'd imagine a lot of people like that, they're just dedicated to their band, and yeah. that was how I was with this song. It was the first off this album, and probably clever because losing my religion was next. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, all right. Thank you so much, Thomas. I've kept you for um, well over an hour. Thank you so much for um, for joining me. So <laughs> it made me laugh about uh, how this came about. You were. Um, shot me a text message and um, <laughs> probably not expecting to uh, get a reply of like, hey, want to be on my podcast? It's probably a lesson there for anybody. Um, <laughs> if you're going to send me a random text message, beware. I'm going to end up harassing you to be on my podcast. Can so. I say, mate, I've heard a couple of your, your two new singles coming off the, the next album and they sound so good. I asked you who the producer was, was the question. Everything sounded great. But also, uh, I mentioned it in the text, I'd, I'd been talking about listening to all these like uh, hit bands that we love from Bruce Springsteen to Cold Chisel and where'd the saxophone go? And we were laughing about, where's my well, mate of I were laughing at, where the hell is the saxophone? It's gone, it's gone. And you brought it Not back, anymore, mate. Baby. Yes. Not anymore. And I was so pumped to hear it, man. I love it. So <laughs> I hope you go really well with that. And, um, mate, and, 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 I, and I, I definitely will finish off. I have a, an awesome time and I thank you. I do. I have loved, um, Thanks, you know, man. being part of it. But uh, I want to uh, tip my hat to you because before I went back to Rockhampton, before I actually gave it a big hot, red hot go, I went and watched Bob Evans at the Tivoli in Brisbane. And maybe we spoke oh. about this. It was years ago as well before Busby were even a thing. And I was almost just I, – I, I knew a couple of songs, but I was sort of like – I wasn't um, – right into you at this stage or anything yet I, I just thought I'd I was kind of going to do my homework and it'd be good to see what another soloist does that's been doing it for a while and mate you blew me away it was the charm and the charisma and the guitar was all sort of lit up and what's going on here and 
Then you, I don't know if you remember this gig, but you were, something happened. I think a string, someone's string broke or the, you pissed the band off and then someone was yelling out the crowd and then you were dropping down on your knees and you were breaking into um, all these old classic cover songs, just being funny oh, and smart. Yeah, yeah. I just, it actually um, gave me a lot of confidence. I was like, wow, this guy's, it's, it's the title, you know, everything, charm and songs. <laughs> and, and I went home all back to Rocky and yeah, I, I had your music on repeat. Um, particularly your first album just on repeat in fact Buzz Bimery went and recorded with um, um, who produced that first album? Oh um, Brad Jones Brad Jones yes, Brad Jones That's we right. went and did our Fuck second I album with Brad yeah because of that first you, album um, yeah. in Nashville so no yeah that's of course. Yes, I I I knew that that had happened, but so many years ago, I'd completely forgotten. Well, thank you very much, Thomas. You are welcome on my podcast anytime, my friend. Hey, right, bring it um, on. Love we, it. We can we we can do begin uh, uh, chapter two with you continuing to tell me how great I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no worries, mate. No worries. I'm good at that. Right. No, thank good you, mate. You, mate. Have a good have a good weekend and happy Easter. Cheers, mate. You too. Bye. See ya.